As I said, we're starting a new series on the Bible, and as we go through it, my prayer for us is that you would appreciate how marvelous and how powerful and how transformative is the Word of God. Uh, most of us will have a Bible. Um, not all of us will read our Bibles or read them as we should. We may have trouble getting started with it. Uh, we may have trouble understanding some of it. Not everything is easy. But the Bible is the Word of God, and it's critical to our faith, and it's indispensable to our ministry. In fact, I want to read for you one of our values as we work through core values for our church, and it's, uh, the value is biblical preaching and teaching. Here it is. We believe that life transformation happens through the Spirit-empowered communication of the Bible. We're committed to preaching and teaching the Word of God with integrity, without compromise, and in a way that speaks to the relevant issues of our time, uh, with love and compassion. The Bible is central to all we do at Unionville Alliance Church. Now, I was a, when I was a kid in Sunday school, I don't even know if they sing this, but some of you inevitably are going to know the song, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. <laughs> I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I mean, I've grown up in that environment. Um, but for many people, they're going to question the Bible. We have high regard for the Bible, but there are a lot of questions also about the Bible. Um, in terms of rele- relevancy, what is a, what is a book parts of which were written 3,500 years ago. What relevancy does that have to us today? Or the reliability or truthfulness or accuracy of the Bible? And are there errors in the Bible and questions like that? And and what do we do with the, the, the Bible when there seems to be potential conflicts between uh, science and the Bible, particularly in areas of origins and, uh, Uh, harmonizing that kind of thing. What about sexual ethics? Um, The Bible can seem so outdated and so prudish, and uh, how do we we live within the kind of restrictions that the Bible talks when that's not what people are willing to uh, consider in this age? How about the challenge of pluralism? Like, what you believe and, and, and the very many beliefs that exist out there uh, compared to some of what the Bible seems to be talking about, which is very exclusive and, and really odious to people to think about one way would be the right way and other ways wouldn't be a right way. Uh, the current thought would espouse that, you know, truth is, is, is subjective. No one can lay trained, uh, claim to having the truth as scripture claims. And and what about postmodern thought, which would kind of say, you know, words in in and of themselves cannot be reliable uh, vehicles for knowledge, because you can't can't say how people would look at words or how they would read or understand it, so that there's no objective meaning. And if that isn't enough, the Bible can be difficult. I mean, where do you start in the Bible? Well, 
we start a book from the, from the beginning and go through the end. And the Bible is, is kind of uh, put together some in, in different ways that, that make it hard for us to sometimes understand. And we're so culturally removed from much of the Bible world. And so there's some parts also that seem kind of boring and long. Um, if you got into First Chronicles chapter 1 through 9, um, you not only have uh, tongue twisters of names, but you've got nine chapters of genealogies. And let's face it, that doesn't, at face value, doesn't seem all that exciting to us. Um, so it can be difficult. I've got to tell you something funny. Um, you know, when, when our son was about five or six, I wanted to buy him a Bible. And, and I did something that was... <laughs> wasn't the, the brightest thing to do. I got him, it was a hardcover, big Bible that had a, uh, a dictionary in the back. Like, like this thing was, had some weight to it. And we had some very dear neighbors that were over at Christmas time, and uh, an older couple, he was, he, he was a, a school superintendent, and we had some tea and something to eat, and sitting around, and and uh, the man said, uh, Ryan, what did you get to, for, for Christmas? And he got some stuff, but he got this Bible too. So he comes out and he said, I got a preaching Bible. <laughs> and the guy's looking like, what kind of people would do this to a kid? You know, this big, heavy Bible. Uh, we just wanted our kids to know the Word of God. And, and it seemed like a right thing to do at the time. We could have probably made some better choices. But um, this is God's book. And it has power. It has dynamite to transform your life. And it is truly supernatural. Um, so as we walk through this issue, we're going we're gonna to try and, and understand uh, some of the hard questions that may be thrown at us about the Bible, because a lot of you young people are going to be in an environment where the Bible it will be kind of scoffed at if you are following the Bible and, and you're just not with it and you're intellectually uh, compromised or something like that. Um, so uh, just hang with us as we journey together over the next few weeks and try and understand what God has for us. And I want to begin by looking at the top of the topic of uh, revelation uh, or revealing or uncovering or disclosing. Now, if you wanted to know me, I suppose you could um, listen to me preach or uh, you could talk to me or, or that kind of thing. You could observe what I say and what I do, and you could come to understand something about who I am. But you could only go so far unless I were willing uh, to open myself to you and talk to you uh, uh, and perhaps answer questions or talk to you and tell you about my background or show, share my inner thoughts. You could know me more intimately with that. Well, it's, it's the same with God. To know God, God has to be willing to reveal himself to us and, and to open himself to let us know who he is and what he's like. And I want to say that God does this broadly under two categories. Um, one we're going to call general or universal revelation. And, uh, oh, I forgot. Oh, thank you. I forgot I had the symbol of power. <laughs> but we know I've messed up with this before. <laughs> um, so, so general or, or uh, universal revelation. And you can keep going, Rob. Uh, just make sure you get the clicker back. Um, it, it, it comes predominantly to us 
through two vehicles. Uh, one is through nature. And um, God displays something of his person through his creation. And what he expects is that we would look at creation and, and what he created, and we would come to some conclusions about who he is with that. So the passage that we read this morning in Psalm 19, I just want to go to, uh, to the beginning of that. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, creation as we see it pours forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Uh, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes into all the world and the words to the ends of the world. So here's, here's the thing. God says, when I created the earth, I expected you to look at creation and come to some conclusion about me. God was revealing something of his person, the glory, the grandeur. Um, and you begin to look at creation and, and it, is, it is fantastic. I was just thinking about the redwoods of California. These things, you see some of these, they are so big, you could drive a car through the middle of them and some of them are such that they have space. Uh, they go 100 meters straight up into the sky and you look at the grandeur of that and you go, wow, that is, that is incredible. Or, or you're, the, the power of a thunderstorm or lightning or a hurricane and we see something of God's power in that. Or the order and the majesty of the heavens as you go out on a, uh, a clear night where there's not light pollution and you see something of the majesty of God's creation of the universe and the beauty of, of things like the northern lights. And you're awestruck with that. And God says, get a load of this. And, and we should be coming to a conclusion behind that. There is an awesome creator. And, and this comes to us day in and day out. Um, God's, God uh, is communicating with us. Um, in Romans 1, 19 and 20, it says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they, glorified, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God said, uh, uh, creation is to bring you to a conclusion. Uh, something about me. Uh, the eternal power, the divine nature is clearly seen. So we understand that whoever did all this is very wise, is ordered, um, is, is concerned with beauty and power and majesty. In fact, when, uh, when uh, uh, philosophers and whatnot came to uh, think about uh, reasons for believing in the existence of God, one of their, one of their arguments, uh, their rational arguments that there was a God is they call a teleological argument. And, and it's when we see the beauty and the order and the intricate design of creation, it brings us to a conclusion. Everything we know happens because of somebody, somebody has done that. For instance, if you're digging and you find these artifacts 
um, doing an archaeological dig. And, and, and you get to that, you, you understand that somebody created this, somebody made it, and somebody had a purpose for it. And so when we look at creation, we need to come to that conclusion. Now, what, what people do is they look at that, and, and they don't glorify God. They realize there's something behind this, there's something bigger than, than you or, uh, or I. And, uh, and so that should lead us to conclusion. That, that, but when we know something about God, the problem is we don't honor him. We're not thankful to him. Well, the second is the conscience that God has given us. As human beings, we all have a conscience. We have a sense of right and wrong. And uh, in, in Romans 2 and verse 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul uh, gave these words. When the Gentiles who do not have the law, now think about this, the Jews had God's law. They had the Ten Commandments. They had all the Old Testament. They understood what moral codes and, and, and laws and ethical things and all the rest of that. Uh, but, but he said, when people who don't have any of that, they don't know God, they don't understand the Ten Commandments, um, he says this, um, they don't have the law, but they do by nature the things required in the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing, and other times even defending them. So he said, what happens is people who are not believers, people who have never had a Bible, people who have not been taught from God's word what's right and wrong, there's a sense that murdering somebody is wrong. There's a sense in which robbing and stealing and, and adultery and, and uh, lying are wrong. And, and it can be that they break it, but there's something inside them that recognizes, I did something wrong. That's a conscience that God has given to us um, from himself that helps us to understand something of about who he is. And now they can, they can have a seared conscience, the Bible talks about. You do wrong more and more and you become desensitized to that. But people are struggling with shame and feeling terrible because they've done something wrong or they've hurt somebody and they don't know what to do about it. And that's God-given thing. Uh, and, uh, but there's a shortcoming with all of uh, these, uh, g- this general revelation. Um, it's enough to condemn them because they know they've done wrong. Even, even the conscience they have bears witness that they, uh, they have done wrong. Uh, but it can, it's not enough to save them. They need something more than general revelation to save them. They don't have a knowledge of the gospel. They know that God is powerful and wise, but they don't know he's also forgiving and compassionate and merciful and gracious. They don't know about a cross that, G- uh, that Jesus was put to death to pay the penalty for our sin, uh, which leads to our second one, and that is special revelation, general revelation and special revelation. And this is God's revealing himself, uh, whereas uh, general revelation is God's um, God makes himself known wherever you are, whatever language you speak, wherever, wherever you live. Um, 24-7, God is, is uh, bearing witness to his, his character through, um, through uh, creation. But the special revelation is, is not available to everybody at all time, anywhere. It's God's revealing himself to certain people in certain places at certain times. 
and, and he, he shows us what God is like and what God does and what the gospel is and, and what God wants of us, he shares with us. What, what purpose he has for our existence, what our destiny is, what about our future, how am I to live my life, what God's will is. All of these kinds of things re- require God um, sharing with us something of the special revelation that we wouldn't otherwise have unless he made himself known. Now that special, uh, special revelation comes in very many ways. It comes through an audible voice of God. God collected his people and brought them before Mount Sinai. And God spoke audibly to his people. He revealed himself as he, as he did from time to time with an audible voice. Um, he also uh, did, uh, sh- uh, spoke through prophets who were called to write down, and that's what we have. We have the word of God that has been, uh, God has directed to have written down and kept for us. God sometimes used things like dreams and visions and miracles. God used the Holy Scripture to communicate and to reveal himself and his will. In Hebrews chapter 1, in the first uh, couple of verses, it says this, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. This is all special revelation. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And I'm just going to jump through there, Rob, uh, for a second for time's sake. But, but the fullest expression of the revelation of God is Jesus Christ. It's the incarnation. Um, and, and he says he's spoken to us finally in these last days by his son. This is the fullest expression. In John 1.1, we have in the beginning... Uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same was in the beginning, and He, uh, he created all things. And we go down to verse 14 of chapter 1, and, and we realize that He says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, uh, and we beheld His glory, the glory of Jesus, the revelation of who God was, the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18 of chapter 1, He says, No one has ever seen God. God, the one and only, who is at the Father's hand, has made him known. Jesus, made, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He, he is God. And that's what Philip, Philip would say in chapter 14 of John. Um, he would say, okay, what, what's the, uh, Jesus, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus goes, oh, Philip, Philip, how long have I been with you? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the fullest expression of who God is comes to us through Jesus. He reveals his character and makes himself known. See, our God is a speaking God. I don't have time to read it for you, but if you want to look in um, Psalm 115, verses 3 through 8, it talks about idolatry. They made these, they made these, uh, these idols. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. They had mouths, but they couldn't talk. But our God is a talking God. He's a God who has revealed himself to us. And, um, and he has recorded that for us. And, and, and uh, you know, the Lord would say to Moses in Exodus, Now Moses, take and write this down. Write these words down regarding the covenant that God was making with his people. Have a, have a record of it. And so we have this incredible record from God that has been kept for us 
to understand as he reveals himself to us. Now, I just want to give you a couple of illustrations in closing or implications uh, for special revelation. Um, The first is this. God desires to make himself known. God wanted us to know him. God wanted us to understand who he was. And so he revealed himself in all of these different ways that we have been talking about because he wanted us to know him. He didn't want to obscure himself. He didn't want to make things uh, so, so we couldn't know him. He wanted to make himself known to you. And, and the, the record that he has left us is the sacred word of God in which he reveals himself fully. Now, God also desires to have a relationship with us. Did did you get what I'm saying? That this incredible God, this God that is beyond what we can even imagine, has wanted to make himself known to us. Um, Imagine that God wanted an intimate relationship with us. Um, In John 17 and verse 3, Jesus said these things as he prayed to the Father. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, We used this verse when we crafted our our new uh, mission statement. And, And our mission statement Uh, was this, that our mission is to lead people to know Jesus Christ. That's to enter into an intimate relationship with him and to to follow him uh, passionately. Do you know him? Do you know he wants a relationship with you? And you, you can never do it. You can never have it because you've offended him, you've rebelled against him, but he's made a way to have a relationship with you that he can forgive you and reconcile the the differences and and remove your sin and make you uh, acceptable in his sight. You can't do that without special revelation. I want you to know he loves you. He tells us that and he reaches out through Jesus Christ, sending his son to die in your place. Well, thirdly, we have an incredible privilege in access to God's Word. Do you realize what we have? I mean, sometimes I'm ashamed when I think how we can neglect this book, how we can let it slip by when God wants to reveal himself and make himself known. And and we'll talk about the power of this book and how God uses it in our lives. And the tragedy is that we don't take more advantage of it. And it's buried somewhere. Um, and, and we need to take that word and understand that relationship is, is uh, aided and, and established through communication, a two-way communication. And lastly, the word of God is authoritative, reliable, and sufficient for what God wants us to know and to do. Um, just go ahead, please, to Second uh, uh, Timothy three sixteen and 17. The word of God is authoritative, reliable, it's sufficient. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything we need, God will tell us in his word. And so we're going on this, uh, uh, this journey. Daniel, where are you? Come on up here, please. Um, and... and um, 
in, in fact, after we're done this series, we're going to be moving toward Easter in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, you guys can come up too. And, um, and so we want, to, we want to get the Word of God into us. So, Pastor Daniel, uh, help us here. All right. You excited about the Bible? All right. So two things we're going to do. Number one is you'll see it in your bulletin and...